0: They're Googling, you know, abortion clinic near me. They are Googling uh, abortion pill. And the information that comes, uh, that are, that results in that comes through big tech, like Google. And so when, when Google or Facebook or whatever the interaction of big tech that she has in that moment censors, then all that they see, all they see is one option, and that is abortion.
1: Welcome to Dear Jane, I'm Scott Baker. We hope to do things a little differently here on Dear Jane. Our goal is to talk with the pro-life movement, but we're not going to be afraid to discuss hard topics and ask tough questions, and we're not interested in amplifying the echo chamber. We're not gonna shy away from talking with people with whom we may not always agree. While I am strongly pro-life and the producers of this podcast are staunchly pro-life, we think it's important for the pro-life movement to build bridges where possible and to learn what makes each other tick. If that thought makes you squirm a little, well, that's the point. What motivates us? What inspires us? What makes us a little uncomfortable? Where can we find common ground? Who's Jane in the 21st century? How do we reach her? Those are the kinds of things we'll be talking about here on Dear Jane. To kick things off, we're gonna visit with Nellie Roach, who is the president of the Choose Life Coalition and Choose Life Marketing. Some of the things we'll talk about with Nellie, her personal experience coming face-to-face with an abortion decision, and the ongoing fight against big tech in the pro-life movement. To get started, Nellie, tell us about how you became involved in the pro-life movement.
0: At age 18, I found myself pregnant, scared, and feeling trapped. I walked in a Planned Parenthood and sat down waiting for my appointment. What seemed to be months later, but only a few minutes, they called my name and I stood up. To turn left, I was to go to the counter and eventually walk around the corner to terminate my pregnancy. Instead, I turned right and I walked out the door.
1: So this is a Planned Parenthood facility?
0: It is. It is a Planned Parenthood facility in Columbia, Missouri, where I still
1: stay. When you live. when you walked in, when you got out of your car to walk in that door, were you 100% certain that that's what was going to happen that day?
0: Absolutely. And actually, a friend had dropped me off um, and I walked through the door actually excited. Hmm. I I was going to take my life back.
1: All right. That's interesting. So but so then in a course of a a few minutes, I mean, really, if you think about it, there's a seed of doubt planted when how to describe when and how that happens.
0: So I, I sit down and I start to reflect. I start to reflect about my past, about the responsibilities uh, that were on my shoulders. And that was the key thing, is the responsibility. I was raised to be responsible. That was our family mantra. And of course, my irresponsibility landed me in that seat. And so I prayed, because that too was our mantra growing up, is that we prayed through our hard times. And when that happened, a realization of the real responsibility I had, I believe God spoke to me that, that very moment.
1: So you, you started to realize a responsibility to the child.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And, and suddenly, I mean, describe the feeling. Was it just as you're sitting there, you, it starts to well up within you or take us into that moment.
0: I felt like I was sick. I felt guilty and ashamed but it was a different kind of guilty and ashamed when i first found out i was pregnant the guilt and the shame was me and what i had done that was so irresponsible sitting on that chair i felt guilty and ashamed for turning my back on another human being that a baby that i had created so yeah i my shame had turned into something that i could Fix.
1: So, a quick aside, let's just take a a pause right here. 31 years later, what emotions do you feel talking about this right now?
0: I am so grateful. I am so grateful. My son is 30 and he's beautiful and he loves God and he knows the story and he is so committed to doing good in this world.
1: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, please. It would seem, I mean, obviously, it's an emotional issue, even all of these years later. Right. It would just seem just talking about it, there would be a mix of um, pain, shame, regret. I mean, a whole host of emotions. Right. But the first thing you just said was grateful. That's really interesting to me. That's that's the first thing you're feeling right now is grateful. So that's why I was curious just to see what emotion you feel now, 31 years later.
0: You know, God is a faithful God. And through this whole journey, he pursued me. I rejected him. I felt like I could do it on my own. And at the end of the day, the emotions that well up in me is gratitude and being grateful that he is a God that is faithful and that he pursues us in all of our sins and our egos and everything that surrounds us. He pulls us towards him. And I'm grateful for that. I made a lot of mistakes, and every single one of those mistakes is because I was void of him and his character and what he wanted me to be. He had already assigned this to me, and even though I was not faithful to him, he was very faithful to me. So yes, I'm super grateful because I also get to work in a space that I have used my journey to be able to be effective in.
1: So that day, 31 years ago, you walk out of that Planned Parenthood and you commit the rest of your life that day forward, you become actively involved in the pro-life movement from that day forward, right? No. 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 Tell us what happens in the interim.
0: So my heart changed, right? When I stood up and walked out the door, my heart changed in that, I acknowledged and wanted to do good for my baby. And it was hard. It was so hard. I had to go home and to tell um, my grandmother and my mother. So that in itself is, is a story by itself. But the journey started with me just trying to figure out what the next steps were going to be. And that is very scary for someone who's 18 years old and now responsible for another human being. So even though my heart and my determination changed from death to life, that path was difficult.
1: How many years pass between that time and when you finally jump in with both feet into the pro-life movement?
0: So I met my husband, Michael, uh, when my son was about three years old and we married when he was about six years old. And so we lived pretty much a quiet life. He opened up a marketing agency, and we started going to uh, dinners, you know, those networking dinners. And one of them, uh, well, actually, multiple of them were to the Vitae Foundation, which is a pro-life organization, and they do amazing research work. And they held banquets that we were very interested in. So we would go. And each time that I would sit in that chair, I would remember my story, but I would set it aside. Fast forward, all of my children started school. I went back into the workforce in marketing and found myself trying to give back. So in our local community, there's a a lot of opportunity to give back to the nonprofits. But what I wanted to do was engage in it. And so I did many things that kind of checked off the box of community involvement, being a good citizen, but feeling very empty and feeling very unfulfilled. I needed a fight. And so uh, one day we sponsored a uh, little conference that was held here at the university. And during that time, uh, I stood up and talked about digital marketing in a very general sense. And afterwards, because we were sponsored, we had a VIP networking opportunity where the Vitae Foundation approached me and said, hey, I think that maybe it's possible that you can help us. So back to your question, it probably was about 20 years later, a lifetime had gone by, and God was still pursuing. Fast forward about Three months later, I was helping the pro-life movement, and my part was uh, reaching her—the woman that was scared and trapped years before—was sitting and figuring out how to comfort her, how to give her how to give her options, and I found my fulfillment.
1: All right, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about how Nellie reaches her through her organizations, and we're gonna talk about uh, pregnancy help centers, and we're also gonna talk about big tech and what they're doing in that space as well. We'll do that when we come back on Dear Jane. I'd like to tell you more about Choose Life Marketing. You've heard us talking about them today. Choose Life Marketing is a full-service pro-life marketing agency with data-driven solutions for organizations of all sizes. They serve pregnancy centers, right-to-life organizations, adoption agencies, Christian-led businesses, and more with services ranging from Google paid search and websites to social media and consulting with clients in all 50 United States as well as Canada, Ireland, Taiwan, and Australia. Choose Life Marketing has provided services to over 600 clients and counting. They're pro-life marketing leaders with a heart for life. Experts in navigating the rapidly changing post-road climate, reach out to Choose Life Marketing by visiting ChooseLifeMarketing.com to get started on crafting your best marketing strategy. We're back here on Dear Jane. We're talking with Nellie Roach from the Choose Life Coalition and Choose Life Marketing, and we're talking We've learned a little bit about uh, Nellie and her passion and her story, uh, how she became involved in the pro-life movement and her personal story with uh, uh, her her son and how she came face to face with uh, almost having an abortion and how she made that choice for life and how she became very, very actively involved in the pro-life movement. So, so tell us a little bit about your work with Choose Life Marketing. And you've really landed in the space of pregnancy help centers. What attracted you to, to, to <clears throat> them specifically?
0: Well, initially, that was, that was sort of introduced to me by the VT Foundation. And I didn't know that pregnancy centers were really a thing. So that was sadness because I also knew that women that were like me years before needed pregnancy centers. And I myself, I found out years later that the Planned Parenthood that I sat in. There was a pregnancy center that was just down the road, and it was sad that I didn't know that a pregnancy center was there to help me, to encourage me, to comfort me. It was a hard road, and to have organizations like pregnancy centers come alongside a woman who is scared about their future and contemplating on abortion would have been awesome for me. But pregnancy centers are the frontline workers of our movement. They talk to her. They love on her. They give to her. And I believe that women who are in a place where they have an unexpected pregnancy need that. All of the emotions that surround a woman who, who doesn't see the light needs a pregnancy center to show them the light and the truth. And the truth is that most women in my situation years ago are faced with not having the resources and the support and the education to raise a child. And so I have this deep love for the woman who's in that place and a deep love for the centers that can offer truth and hope. And putting them together increases the possibility of a beautiful child coming into this world.
1: And a lot of people may not realize it really is, I don't think it's overstatement to say it's a it's a battle right now. It's it's a war right now. Because, you know, I think I think you would agree with me in this post row world, um, one of the biggest mistakes that we can make in the pro life movement is thinking that the battle is over right? We've won. Great. We've won. It's, it's all over. The The fight has become much more high tech. It's become, it's gone online, for example, uh, whereas before it was, you know, it was Planned Parenthood was on the other side. Maybe it was progressive lawmakers on the other side. The battle now has gone from maybe the sidewalk to the phone. Right. Um, and, and, and these pregnancy centers specifically, I want you to talk a little bit, tell us a little bit about um, what's going on on the phone. You talk about a lot about reaching her uh, to sort of bring it all together. What's, when, when we're trying to reach her and when the pregnancy centers are trying to reach her, uh, how difficult is big tech making that when they're trying to reach her?
0: So it's not a secret that, especially in post row, that there is a big fight against uh, being pro-life and big tech is where she lives and how she interacts with big tech is through her phone. So in the generation of millennials as well as generation Z they find comfort and especially with with covid they're finding comfort like within their phones so they're googling you know abortion clinic near me they are googling uh, abortion pill and the information that comes uh, that are that result in that comes through big tech like google and so when when Google or Facebook or whatever the interaction of big Tech that she has uh, in that moment censors then all that they see are all they see is one option and that is abortion and so that seems to be an accepted culture that we have uh, in today's world so big tech has a lot of power
1: in this one of the things i want to pick your brain on before we before we wrap things up i think you bring an interesting perspective to the pro-life movement one of the things we talked about how you've been into the pro-life space actively it's been your everyday life now for about five years right yes um some of the people listening here you know they they've been in the pro-life movement for decades right so you're relatively new for some people you come to it as a as a businesswoman as a a marketing expert, that sort of thing. As you as you came into the pro life movement, what surprised you about the movement? As you as you looked at it, did, what did you see that mm, we do this well? Uh, boy, we don't do this very well. What were some of your observations generally about the pro life movement?
0: Well, being in marketing for quite some time, what I typically do is I look at the opposition. I look at competition to see what they're doing well, where they are in the grand scheme of marketing. And so I focused on Planned Parenthood, and I found them to be very bold and very consistent and very apt to the uh, generation that they are trying to reach. They had messaging tidbits. They had everything that you would want to recommend to your client. The right mix, the right timing, the right look, the consistent messaging, everything was in alignment. When I looked in our movement, I saw very little of that. I saw big gaps. I saw that our messaging was outdated. We were following instead of leading.
1: Reacting, you mean? Like, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah,
0: like like reacting. I, I had a friend who said it's like they're playing chess, and we are opening up our checkers for the first time. It was just that far behind, and I felt that the pregnancy centers and the movement as a whole deserved better.
1: Well, well I'm trying to understand why we were just not as sophisticated, or we were just too timid. What do you think?
0: I think both. And one of the reasons I believe that was so is because of how polarizing this topic is. So it's difficult to go to your local marketing agency and say, hey, you know, I would really like to help. Uh, I would really like your help in providing marketing for my center. And we are pro-life.
1: You can't just go to anybody.
0: You can't just go to anybody. Yeah. And so I I felt like those who were passionate about the pro-life movement became marketers instead of marketers being passionate about the pro-life movement. So I felt like there was a gap there. I had been in marketing for 20 years. I helped small businesses to medium businesses reach their target audience did all of those things. And at the end of the day, the effectiveness came from 100% transparency and communication of the needs of my clients. And I believed that the pregnancy centers didn't have a lot of that, didn't have a lot of options. And so that was something that I was very, very particular on. We are going to serve the pregnancy center and everyone that we hire must be pro-life. They must have the passion for reaching her.
1: So if I could sum up Nellie Roach in one, sum up Nellie Roach's passion in one sentence, it would be she is passionate about reaching her. I've heard it a hundred times. I've seen it. And so my final question for you today, and we're going to have to have you on again on Dear Jane, but if you were to run into her, perhaps she is she's come across this podcast or you run into her uh, in an elevator and you have her for, for 30 seconds. What would you say to her?
0: I would say to her that you're not alone and that there are people and organization that are out there that can help with resources and education. I would tell her that she can have her baby and her dreams too.
1: Nellie Roach from the Choose Life Coalition and Choose Life Marketing. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, we're going to introduce you to someone you should know right after this. I want to take a minute and tell you about Soul Global, Sanctity of Human Life Global. Soul Global is a nonprofit organization that believes every human person has value and deserves to be served with dignity from conception through the end of life. Soul Global equips people, churches, and communities with the tools they need to advance the sanctity of human life message around the world. One of the tools they have is Soul Care, which is a complimentary online platform for churches and nonprofits to have an initial voice for the cause of life. Churches and nonprofits can provide online counseling, life-affirming education, support, and referrals to resources in their community through the Soul Care tool. And it doesn't end there. To learn more about the many tools Soul Global offers, check out their website at soulglobal.org. In this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Carolyn Klein, the Executive Director of Involved for Life, Inc. and the Woman-to-Woman Health Centers in the Dallas area. Carolyn says when the first center originally opened in 1994, it started out just like most pregnancy help centers. But then they started to notice the need changing. As we began to, to
2: see and understand that um, the needs were greater than the services that
1: we were offering. That's when they made the commitment to offer more medical services.
2: And then we want to add um, the other services that women need to support their pregnancy, much many of what we were already doing as far as social services uh, within our center. But we want to add the medical services so that we can come, come alongside women and we can be the first point of contact for women when they start looking for reproductive health services. We are committed to being a true competitor to Planned Parenthood. That's so much better. Now, we are, we are doing well-woman exams. We're doing gynecological care. We uh, are doing, obviously, uh, pregnancy testing and uh, verification and confirmation of pregnancy. We are educating about abortion, I think, much better than they do, obviously. Uh, we are also doing uh, post-abortion exams that um, abortion clinics are now referring to us And because we saw a need that women so often were not going back for those exams because they did not want to walk through the
1: doors of that place again. Carolyn says it's that post-abortive care that has opened up many opportunities for ministry.
2: And that has just been the most incredible mission field for us, to be able to minister to women when they are really at one of the lowest points in time in their life and be able to love them with the love of Christ and help them to understand that they are loved, that they are forgiven, and introduce them into
1: post-abortion care. For Women to Women Centers, the medical services have always been a part of the ministry and mission.
2: That for us has been our goal all along, is what are women needing and how can we best minister to them? And One of the reasons that we offer the whole gamut is that we want a relationship that we want an ongoing relationship with a woman during her reproductive years. And we know that transformation doesn't happen in an instant. It happens, it's a journey. And so that's, we choose to be on a journey with a woman. And so we want to come alongside her. What I love is it's not been hard at all to find medical people to hire that want to come because they have people that love the Lord. And many of them, they're they're in medical because God called them into that. But they felt like they've had their hands tied in so many of the places where they've worked, where they haven't allowed to be able to incorporate their faith into part of the healing process that they're there to, to incorporate. So they are our, our nurses, our nurse practitioners, our, our PAs and our doc are all so excited to be able to share the Lord while they're doing uh, their medical services and to be able to pray with people and to be able to share with them the truth of the gospel and the hope that they have in their own personal life to to relate to whatever the situation is that the women are going through and whether it's through um, offering the physical services they're coming for. And I think we always have to do that because you know, theres it's not a bait and switch. It's not, oh, let's get them in the door and tell them we're gonna do this, but we really have this agenda. The agenda is to love people well. And Jesus did that in remarkable ways. Uh, and he did it by serving people with their physical needs, their emotional needs and their spiritual needs. So that's our goal.
1: As we wrap up this inaugural episode of Dear Jane, it's clear we have a lot of work to do in the pro-life movement, especially for pregnancy help centers. There are so many lies being said about them right now, and they're the ones actually on the front lines doing the important work, and they're doing it well. We need to support these centers, and we need to help tell the truth about these centers. You heard Nellie and Diana say the same thing. Pregnancy Help Centers exist to help women and their babies, not only through the pregnancy, but with resources after birth. You won't hear that from politicians in Washington, and you won't hear that from some in the media. What Nellie told us about big tech is downright troubling, but collectively, we can push back, and we must. Thanks for listening to Dear Jane. I'm Scott Baker. We hope you'll be back next time. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. ChooseLifeCoalition.com